We're going to be over in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12 here this morning. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. When was the last time that you prayed fervently for something and it didn't come? You didn't get it. Nothing happened. Think back on it. When was the last time? I mean, you put everything into it. You prayed with everything you had. It seemed to be something that the Word of God told you was yours. It could be yours. Should be yours. Whatever. It seemed you had scriptures on it. And you prayed fervently for that particular thing. And it didn't come. Maybe some of us can say it was a week ago. Maybe a month ago. Who knows how long, long ago it was. But think back on that. Did you like faith? Did you like favor? Was it outside the will of God? Why is it that that thing didn't come? And how many of y'all know when we have a prayer that we prayed fervently and we needed it? We needed it to come through and it didn't. How many of y'all know that can set you back a little bit? That can make you feel like, well, is God really there? Is He there to, to minister to? What good is this? If when I really need something, it doesn't come. Anybody ever feel that way? Appreciate all three of you. When prayers go unanswered, I put this up on, it took me a while to get something to put up on Facebook and I was actually just going to write it off and then all of a sudden it hit me and said, oh, this is what needs to go up there. So if you were not up there until after 9 o'clock, you probably didn't see it. That's what I... I put it up there, but um, it was too late to put it in your in your outline. But this is this is something I want you to get. When prayers go unanswered, the answer as to why that comes to us will often lead us astray. When prayers go unanswered, the answer as to why that that prayer went unanswered will generally lead us astray. And we'll explain that a little bit more as we go on along here. But we're going to take a look at the Scripture. And I always, I always like to look back and see when is it we covered. The last time we covered the Scripture was three years ago. And I don't think, I, I know I've covered it twice. I don't think I've covered it more than three times in all the time we've been here. It's not one of those Scriptures that you go to a whole lot. It's one of those Scriptures that you kind of look at and a lot of people say, why did this happen? So we're going to see if you... Uh, you have thought that about this. Second Samuel chapter 12. We're still looking. We've got one more left on favor. And then we're moving on. This is kind of our transition one that we're going into. This is kind of takes us from here and into some other aspects in this having faith in your prayers. Verse 1. Now we're jumping in the middle of the story here. David has already had an affair with Bathsheba. She has become pregnant. And he had her husband killed. That's all going on. We're jumping in the middle of that. That's probably not an unfamiliar story to you. This kind of stuff has, has gone on. And um, we're in verse 1 in chapter 12. If any of that is new to you, just go back to chapter 11 and read it over. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, Now how would you like to be Nathan right now? This is not a prophet going to a president of the United States. This is a prophet going to a king who is basically a dictator. And whatever he says goes. So how would you put yourself in Nathan's shoes? How would you feel if you, if God comes to you and says, Steve, 
I want you to go to King David. He has already killed an innocent man. He has already killed someone who has done his kingdom great help, brought his kingdom great help. One of the best soldiers in his kingdom, he's already killed. He took his wife, had an adulterous relationship with her while he was gone fighting a battle and he was home. He brought other people into a murderous plot. And I want you to go and rebuke him. Now, have you ever thought of Nathan in that light? Nathan is taking his life in his own hands, so to speak. Because if this king, to cover up the plot that had gone on, had already killed one of his best soldiers and brought other people into it, what would stop him from killing Nathan? So the word came to Nathan. Now, we don't have the same story going on here we have with Jonah. Jonah, the word came to Jonah, and what did Jonah do? He got on a boat and he went another direction because he didn't want to deliver this word. Nathan gets the word. I'm sure there's got to be something going on inside Nathan saying, I don't, I don't want to deliver this. I don't, I don't know. How, how do you go up to a king and rebuke him? When he can just tell the guy there, he's lying, chop his head off. And that's it. No trial. No lawyers. So he came to him. There were two men in one city. One rich and the other poor. Now, we don't know if he got this story from God or if he just got the message and he sat around and thought, how do I do this? And inspiration came to him about doing this from the story. Whatever, however it is, I just kind of think there's something in between verse 1a and 1b. We'll probably have to wait to get to heaven to find out what that is. But there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup. That's going a little bit too far. You know, if I have a dog in my house, I like the dog. It does not drink out of my cup. We've had discussions in the family about the dog eating off the plates with leftovers. Now, my view on this is no, never, never. No dishwasher will take care of this. That's, that's just my view. That view was not shared with everyone, by everyone in the household. But uh, that's my idea. You scrape the stuff into the dog's bowl. That's why it's there. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know about this part of the story. If, this, if he told me this part, I kind of get grossed out. He ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his own bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man but had, that, who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, David gets mad at this story. And that's good because it still shows that despite the fact that he's kind of being pulled into the area of sin and then covering up the sin, he still has a heart for righteousness. 
And that's good. There are some people who do not have a heart for righteousness anymore. They are hard to reach. Put in your outline for you. Hiding your sin can cause you to become callous to God's way. We don't want to do that. So he pronounces judgment. Now, I'm going to have a homework assignment here for you, so listen to this one. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. Now remember, we just got done reading the part. David pronounced the sentence on the man, didn't he? What was David's sentence? The man should die and repay. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Now just think of it this way. If I came up to your house one day, knocked on the door, and said, Brother Les, hit me. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of hoping that Brother Les wouldn't just jump on the opportunity. <laughs> that he kind of said, well, no, I don't really want, want to do that. Just don't really have anything against you. But it says here that he said this, By the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. So the moral of the story is, if a prophet comes to you and says, Hit him, hit him good. <laughs> if he says it by the word of the Lord. Otherwise, don't do it. Isn't that kind of odd? That's not a, the purpose of our looking at this story here. Let's go on. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy, here and there he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be. You yourself had decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. Ahab was given a story. It was not a true story. It was a story. And it caused Ahab to pronounce a judgment. After which the prophet took off the bandage and then he recognized him as one of the prophets. And he says, so will you be judged. Now, here's your assignment. And you can, if it comes to you while you're here and if you're out there on the, watching it on the video and Facebook live feed, you can just put it in the comments. There is another time when someone pronounced a judgment upon themselves without knowing it. See if you can come up with who, where it was. There was another time that someone pronounced a judgment upon themselves. First person who gets to figure out what that is, and if it's not to the end of the service and we have multiple ones, we'll, we'll, we'll do other ones. They get, the, they get one of their pick of one of the CD series we have over there. If you, uh, My daughter's been doing different things to give them away, so... I'll have my hand at it. So, actually, at the end of the service, as many as you can figure it out by then. If not by then, then, you know, the first one that comes to it. But there's another story. 
another person who, who pronounced it. Now, if you got it, write it down. Give it to me later on. Let other people figure out what it was. Now, this person, Ahab, pronounced a judgment upon himself. And God, God went with it. There's another time judgment was pronounced and God went with it. And David pronounced a judgment upon himself and God said, it won't happen. Isn't that interesting? That this time God doesn't say that. And then Nathan said to Daniel, you are the man. That had to hit him like a ton of bricks. I mean, phew. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you my master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Notice this, that twice Bathsheba is referred to as Uriah's wife, not his widow. He's already dead. But two times in that passage, we see that she is referred to as his wife, not his widow. Kind of interesting, isn't it? But David comes right out. He says, I have sinned. He could have gone a couple of different ways on this. But verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to Daniel or to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. And you shall not die. Now, in other instances, we have people who pronounce judgment upon themselves, and that judgment came about. But here, he said, You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's. Wife bore to David, and it became ill. Now, some of that is, can be very confusing to us. Why would the Lord strike a child? And we've talked to you about the Hebrew mentality, and that it permeates the Old Testament. The Hebrew mentality is, if God doesn't stop it, then God did it. I don't see that God brought the sickness upon it, but according to the way they looked at it, He did not stop it. Therefore, he did it. So just keep that in mind when you, when you read that. It might help out with some of it. But he said that you have given occasion to the Lord's enemies. That by sinning, we've given an occasion to the enemies of God. It says the child shall die. It actually says the child shall surely die. Sounds like there's no doubt there, does it? The child shall surely die. Now, why does it... Go back to that verse of Scripture that that said that. Uh, Verse 14. However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. 
Is the child going to die because God wants the child out of the way? Or is the child going to die because of the deed? Now, how many of y'all know we've, we've done some things that weren't so good? Should other people have to die because of what you did? This child does absolutely nothing wrong. This child is not involved in any way. And yet the child is going to die. Why doesn't God step in and do something about that? Anybody ever wonder that about that? Why doesn't God step in and stop this child from dying? Why don't we do that? And he doesn't. Let's go on and look at this because this is where we really get into the part that we want to see. I put this in your outline for you. The child shall die. Is this a judgment by God or a result of sin? Verse 16. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. So he pleaded. It says David pleaded with the child and fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. All night he went in, he lay there, he's, he's, he's not eating, he's, he's sad, he is pleading before God that God would, would turn this around. Is this not a prayer for favor? Have we ever been in a situation where the out, we don't like the outcome? We don't like what's coming down. And we've prayed for favor in that thing. And we prayed fervently. We prayed with everything in us. We gave up food. We, we were fasting. We were, gave up sleep. We just stood before the presence of God. Please, God, we need to change this. Is this not a prayer for favor? Because the judgment's been come. God's already declared what the judgment would be. Has God ever changed his mind on a judgment? Well, the story we just read, Ahab. Didn't God change his mind a little bit on that judgment? Weren't there some other ones? Hezekiah, you shall surely die. Put your house in order. He repented. Before the prophet got out, go back. Tell him he's got 15 more years. God has changed his mind on some judgments. And it seems like David understands that God can change his mind on a judgment. So if this is a judgment from the sin, that perhaps I can get before the presence of God and gain his favor so that this would get changed. Verse 18. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. Seven days. Seven days of fasting. Seven days of praying. Seven days of being sad. Seven days of being in the presence of God. Seven days of the servants trying to get you up. Come on, get up. Walk about. Do some things. In seven days, he turned them down. Seven days, he pursued this to get God to change his mind as, as he's approaching it, to get God to change his mind. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. So in other words, he's been really sad, upset. We can't get him to eat. We can't get him to, to sleep. We can't get him just to do normal things. And the child's alive. What's going to happen now that the child is dead? How much grief is he going to have? How much sadness? Is it possible that he might harm himself? 
Is it possible he might harm someone else around? What will happen with David when we tell him that the child is dead? When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. You ever had that? People are whispering about, I know you're talking about me. <laughs> I know you're talking about something you don't want to tell me. What's going on? And so he asked them, he says, is the child dead? Therefore David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child dies, you rose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This is not the attitude that most Christians have when they pray fervently for something. Most Christians, when we have prayed fervently for a thing and it didn't come, we get mad, we get upset, we get depressed, we get angry at God, we get angry at maybe even the faith message, we get angry at the word that we were standing on. Answers come to us. The reason that, didn't, that you didn't get that, you don't have enough faith. You haven't been walking right. You haven't been doing this right. And those answers will lead you astray. They're not good answers. You've got to be careful of those. People get answers all the time. They're not always from God. That's why we've, we spent all that time uh, a few years ago determining how God speaks to you, knowing the voice of God. Because if you don't know the voice of God, how can you discern amongst all the voices? And so a voice will give an answer and will say to you, this is why this happened. I was talking with somebody just this week. So much, so much um, bad doctrine inside of one person. I was amazed. I'm, I'm just, I, I couldn't figure out how to weed it all out. But if, through a course of events, his wife had a surgery. And in the course of that surgery, she was, got an infection and was going to die. And if they had not gotten her down to another doctor who had caught it, she would have been dead before the, the, the next day. And so what part of the, the thing for that, they, they extracted her eye and saved her life. And he was telling me, he says, the Lord took my wife's eye so that we could save other people. Because he was going to get their license taken away because apparently they've done some of these surgeries with other people and other people were, were harmed. He was very sincere about that. In the course of a 30-minute conversation, we had a lot of bad doctrine to try and pick apart and I picked my battles, which one I could do. And uh, he seemed to take some of them okay. But uh, I'll tell you what, the answers that we get in there, how many of y'all know that's not an answer from God? But people believe that very fervently. And it gives them some kind of hope. But that doesn't paint a very good picture of the God that you serve. David prayed fervently for seven days for the same thing. God, and it's probably went along something like this line. 
God, it was me who sinned. It was my fault. It's not the child's fault. Let this punishment fall upon me. Don't let it fall upon the child. Because David has prayed prayers like that before. When he, he sinned by taking the census. Don't, don't let it fall upon the people. Let it fall upon me. I'm the one who did it. I'm sure he's praying very much along those lines here. But the Lord had told him in the word. He said, you have given an occasion for the enemy. You have given an occasion for the enemy. Not all sin does this. But some sins, folks, that we fall into, give an occasion for the enemy. That's why it's best to stay out of all of them. <laughs> but how many of y'all know? Haven't quite gotten to that place yet. But he prayed. He had the word. What's the word of God tell him? The word that came to him, the word of God that came to him was the child will die. Isn't that what the word is? What is his desire? That the child would live. There are many times, folks, that we have a desire different from the word. And we pray fervently for that to happen. No, no, I would never do that. Surely surely we would. We we do it quite. It's so easy for us to fall into it. How many of us have had a relative unsaved, not following after God, in almost poverty? Going to get kicked out of their home, apartment, wherever it is that they're living. They're going to lose their car or whatever it might be. Harm is going to come to them. And we pray, Father God, I pray please, let them have a, find a new job. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that for somebody who's, who's desperate? Father God, find a way for them to be able to stay in their home. We've prayed these, and we've been fervent because we're close to them. We love them. But folks, we don't have the Word of God on that, do we? If they don't follow the way of God, can God alter their finances? Can God do something to, um, to help them with favor? Now, I had a question that was posed to us. We dealt with it on a Wednesday night. We didn't deal with it here, but it was dealing with here on, on Sunday. I love it when you all throw questions at me. And one of the questions was, if the favor of God is dependent on what we do, and if we do certain things, we walk in certain amount of favor, then how does the Christian have any advantage over the unsaved? That's not, anybody thinks that's a good question? Yeah, I thought it was a good question. I love that they asked that. Well, here's the answer for that real simple. The principles that God puts in operation, some will work whether you are saved or not. The law of sowing and reaping, does it work for the unsaved? Sure. Works for the unsaved and works for the saved. What's the advantage then does a saved person have? Because the saved person can rely on the Spirit of God and the power of God to bring rain in its due season. Right? And that will help the laws that are already in operation. Well, you as a believer have the opportunity to let the Spirit of God work in you to do the things that gain favor with a greater amount of power than anyone else. Now, you all know part of my rehab that I've been doing is, uh, is cycling. How many people, when was the last time anybody 
I'll put it to you this way. Has everybody here ridden a bike? All right. Have you ridden one of those bikes that has gears on it? All right. I have a a 12-speed bike. It's about 30-some years old. It's an old bike. But it, so it's, it's uh, I guess that at the time, that may have been the top end of the, the thing or close to it, but it just has 12 speeds on it. I think anymore they got 18 and 20-some and whatever it might be. But um, a lot of times I put it in the top gear and you just go and, you know, you can do whatever you want. But if you take that, that speed, maybe you've done this, and you put that, say you have 12 speeds on your bike, and you put it all the way down into second gear now understand you have 12 speeds you don't necessarily have one two three four five. they don't go that that way speed six is not far behind speed 12 or gear 12 because of the way that the gearing works but we'll just uh we'll just work on it this way if you take it one of the higher instead of one of the higher ones put it in one of the lower ones you're you're going around like this but you're not going that far you're not going that fast so when you're going up the hill you put it in the lower speeds so that you can pedal a little bit easier and get the thing moving but you're going down the hill. If you go in those little things, you're not doing anything at all. And a lot of times, you know, I have it in the, the highest speed that's on the bike, and I'm going down the hill on that 202 bypass thing there, going down some of those hills. And I stop pedaling because I'm not doing any good anymore. It's going as fast as it can go, and you can pedal, but, you know, you just, it doesn't do any, any good. It doesn't, doesn't help it. You are like a person in gear 24 you have you can make this thing soar whereas a non-christian can only have maybe one or two gears at their disposal but here's the things that you have for the favor of god you have the joy of the lord which surpasses all joy and when people experience the joy of the lord in you it makes them want to do good things for you even though they've never experienced the joy of the lord but they love being around you because you got it you can love people with a love that goes, comes from outside yourself. You can believe in the best in people better than the unsaved can because that's a fruit of the Spirit. You can operate in the fruits of the Spirit and overcome some things. You can walk in the wisdom of God and God can tell you how to do things so that you will walk in more wisdom, or more wisdom and more favor. Now, I don't tell you this story all the time. I think I've told it to you be, before. But the, the job I had down at Keltner's Horse Riders, and we were, we were going about, they, uh, they paid money to hire me. I wasn't free. I didn't get the money. <laughs> they paid it to somebody else. But I was their first person that ever went through a, an employment agency to go through. And so we went through that whole thing. So they actually paid money to be able to hire me and to, to bring me on in. And the first year, I didn't know this. They didn't tell me this. But in the first year I was there, I was not quite measuring up. I didn't quite. I mean, I did okay. I maintained the route. Did everything, but uh, I wasn't doing a whole lot of sales. I wasn't picking up a whole lot of extra sales and things like that. So um, they had this big route they did down the shore. And they said, you know, maybe Steve, I think, is, is cut out for that. We don't need him to sell a whole lot. We just need him to maintain what's going on down there. And so they gave that to me. And um, I went out there and, and I, I did that. Now, the short route was different from any other route we had because we went down there during the summer. We went down once a week. Everything, every other route we had, we went in every three weeks. So there was a lot more span of time in between. So there were certain rules that we had with the company. Some of the company rules were we don't rotate their stock. We don't stock their shelves. And there are certain things we didn't cover because we were only in there once every three weeks. And so um, I found out 
that I could do some of these things that were, I mean, I'm not saying that they, they were frowned upon. I'm not saying that they, they didn't uh, tell you to do it. I'm telling you, they actually sat down and said, we don't stock shelves. Actually sat us down and told, when you go out, you don't stock the shelves. That's their job. Our job is to bring the material in. It's their job to rotate it. It's their job to stock the shelves. It is not your job. So this is very, very clear in, in my mind. And we're going on down there that we don't do these particular things. And so I got on down and I'm doing the route and I'm finding out these guys are so busy, they don't have time to rotate the stock. And at the end of the year, we take everything back that they haven't sold. And some of it will be out of code. And we'd have to throw it away. And I said, I don't think that'll look good. So um, I started rotating the stock. <laughs> and this, they had this one customer. This one customer, I, I'll tell you, the uh, Lobster House. I remember in the Lobster House down in Cape May. Lobster House is probably the most unusual customer we had. He, they were just incredible, incredibly busy. We were in there once a week. They were so busy. Their day to be seen was on a Thursday morning. I would go in there on a Wednesday night, and I would inventory the entire place. I would go home and write the order up because just writing the order up would take time. And I would be able to make sure I got it all right and got it all down on there. And then the next morning, I would stop in there and I would bring all that stuff out of the truck. They had a conveyor belt and I would stock the conveyor belt full of stuff and you'd turn the conveyor belt on, put more on until all the conveyor belt was full. And then I'd get up in the top and I would get the conveyor belt and just be on the other end. I didn't have people on both ends of it. So you're operating a conveyor belt with just one person. And I would get all the stuff up there. I'd rotate all their stuff out. But when I came in there on Wednesday nights, a lot of times their shelves were empty. They had no more stock on. They were too busy to, to, to uh, fill it up. And so I said, well, I could wait for them to do it, but they're not going to do it until their rush is over and we will lose all this product. So I started stocking their shelves. <laughs> now, I didn't do it without, I let them know. I let the company go. I said, look, I know you don't want me to rotate stock and I know you don't want me to rotate to uh, to stock the shelves. But I'm running into a problem, and I told them what the problem was, and we will sell more stuff if you let me stock the shelves. And so, you know, they said, well, go ahead. You're doing, you're doing fine. Well, as it turned out, in one day at the shore, I sold more than most people did in three days, and some people did on the routes in a week. One day at the shore. And so they kind of gave me a lot more freedom on it, and they let, they let me go. And so I began to begin to actually evolve the job around what I wanted it to do. So I stocked shelves. I rotated stock. I did things that were their job, but I found that if I did them, I got out faster. And if I got out of there faster, then I'm able to see more people and I'm able to do more sales in the course of a day. Well, this had the added note that I'm doing more of their job, which means they did less of their job, which meant they could focus on other things. And so the more I got into this, and the more I got in there, God kept showing me things that I could do to make it better for them. And so I adjusted what I did to each one. If they wanted me to make the order up, I'd make the order up. I kept logs, not only logs of what you did last year, I kept logs of what the weather was like whether we had a good weekend or a bad weekend. And I could come in and I could tell them all this detail. Last, last year, you sold this much, but it was a bad weekend. We got a good weekend this week. We're going to get you ready for more. And I got them so relaxed with how I did their inventory 
that they basically just said, whatever you think we need, you just do it. I don't care. Lobster House took thousands of dollars worth of product and never checked me in. Never one time checked me in. They left it up to me to make sure that I put it all in there. One of our customers not only did that, he had me write out the check. He signed it. He gave me a blank check, signed, just make it out for whatever the amount is because he didn't want to stop doing what he was doing. But anyway, things like this would come up and I kept finding more things I could do to help them. I found out we got us, I got the whole company into doing spices simply because our customers wanted it. And they said, we'd never done spices because we can't be in there all the time. I said, I'm in there every week. I said, if we get spices, we will cut down on these guys go into other vendors and we can take up more of their stuff. They trusted me on it. We went after it. We developed the spice line. It took off and we did real well. And we did some other things. Pretty soon the, the, the truck run became, became doubled and uh, more things happened and good thing for them. All of a sudden, we see there was two people up in there in here. There was Keltzner's and there was another company called Virga. They were the, two, they were the only two, customer, two cocktail sauces you could buy in the seafood stores all along the Jersey Shore. But what happened was the Keltzner line was selling more and more and more and more and the Virga line was selling less and less. I didn't know what the Virga line was doing. I just know we were selling more and more and more and it was going well. All of a sudden, I come in one year and the guys tell me, Virga's out. They are no longer coming down. It is not worthwhile for them to come down. I think they're up in the New York area. It is no longer worthwhile for them to come from New York down to here and sell stuff. Virga was gone. Guess what happens to all the sales? <laughs> Except that there was another company that came in. The name of that company was Criss Cross. And I had dealt with them in a head-to-head competition up in the northern area of Jersey, but not in the southern area. They saw an opportunity that Virga got out, and they said, let's go down and let's pick it up. And so they went to all of my customers, and they gave them free cases of stuff. Half of the customers refused them. And the other half took them. And they told me, we took their free stuff. We're not buying anything off of them. We want you to have all of our business. And crisscross never came back to the South Jersey Shore. I don't know if they're there anymore. But at that point, I took over the entire market. Everything that was done in the South Jersey market was done through Kelsner's Horse Riders. I had everything. I had all the sales. And the sales kept doubling. They gave me a route. They said it was full, and I doubled it once, and then I doubled it again. Why? Because of the favor of God. Because I understood that the favor of God comes by what you do, not by what you pray. And you see, if I did things that made them want to give me their business, they would give me their business. But every time, I'm, I'm, I, need to, I need to keep showing up. I need to do what they needed to do. And they became enthused about giving me their business. They became glad about giving me their business. Not because I prayed it, but because I worked harder. I let the wisdom of God come into me. What can I do to turn these things around? And what can I do? And by the time I left there again, it had grown so much that now what they were doing was they were just taking it. Because I had actually picked up two more sales accounts that they were afraid to get into. They said, Steve, if you go after it, we know you'll get it. And so they, as I was getting close to the time I was leaving, they're saying, go ahead and go after them. Uh, we can handle them now. 
And so I went in and got them both. And now the only way they could do this route was they had to send a bigger truck down to restock the truck that was doing the route. That there was no longer time for that truck to come all the way back and to reload and go back on down. And so they just sent a truck on down and they, they, they delivered at Lobster House, the big one. The, the main guy who was doing it wasn't even doing it anymore. He would go and make the order. He'd mail the order in and then the big truck that would come down would drop the order off. They would just put it on skids and drop it off. Unfortunately, though, they lost the personal touch. I don't know how that ever went because now they're just getting skids. They're not getting all this stuff put away. Don't know how it ever worked out. But you see, God will give you wisdom on your situation so that favor will come because people realize whatever they put in your hands prospers. You see, people are not going to give you business. They're not going to give you money because they feel good about you and God put it on their heart to do it because most of those people you want to get from are unsaved. The reason that they're going to do it is because it benefits them. And how's it going to benefit them? Because you can have the favor of God working in you because no one else that you're up against has the wisdom of God working through you like you do. No one else has the joy of God working. Every time I came into the store, I wanted them to feel the joy of the Lord. I wanted them to say, oh, Steve's here. Oh, good. I've been looking forward to this all, all the time. I wanted them to do that because it had an effect. And it can have an effect on, on you as well. You can't just pray for prosperity. You have to put the wisdom of God to work. When you do that, prosperity will come to you. And people will, will break down the door to give you money. I, I want to buy this from you. I, 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 want to, I want to get this. They will do that. You can soar above everyone else in the area of favor. Even though they can do the same things. But they can't do it to the level that you can. They're driving around on a bicycle in second gear and you're in gear 24. Soaring right on by. That's how it should be for the believer. But if you don't do the things that God says to do, the favor won't follow you. If you're mean and nasty and don't let the fruits of the Spirit come out, it won't come. You won't have it. If you don't let the wisdom of God come in and work through you to show you what to do, they're not going to seek you out. They won't, they won't do it. Get that favor. When you get that favor, it changes the way that you, you do things. I told you before, when I was working Kelsey's first year, I wasn't that good of a salesman. I didn't have those talents. I didn't have, I didn't have that personality. And uh, I began to learn some things in it. I learned the most when I uh, left Kelsey's for a year, went down to Oklahoma and sold cars. I sold Fords. What else would I sell, right? I sold Fords for a year. And uh, learned some things in sales. Didn't like the job a whole lot, but I learned some things in sales. And when I came back, and I went back, and they gave me the routes back, and they told me to take more time. And so I took more time on that. And I just started finding places. I found this one account. I, st- I drove by him when I was over there on Long Beach Island. Long Beach Island account. I drove by it a- again when I was up there on the island. And I looked at that, and I still remembered. Because he was one of the first ones that I went into after a new, refreshed idea on how I could sell. And I went in there just happy and glad. And I told him, I said, uh, you know, we can, we can do this for you. I don't want it. But we have this. I don't want it. But we also have this. I don't need it. And uh, he told me no a total of six times. Six times he told me no. 
In fact, after one of those no's, I actually got in my truck and left. And then I had another idea. And so I turned the truck around, went back to his place, and came back on in. <laughs> he saw me coming back on in. But you know, I'm full of joy. Glory to God, full of joy. I said, I got one more thing for you. I said, we also have these. Are these a help for you? He says, let me see them. And he pulled those things off and he looked at them. They're portion control cups. He said, these are good. These are better than the ones I have. And he opened it up and he dipped his stuff in there. He says, man, that tastes good. I says, yeah, people taste the sauce more than they taste your food. The sauce is bad, your food's going to taste bad. He said, that's right. And you put a lot in that cup. That's really good. He says, all right, I'll take. And he took, I think, 20 or 25 cases on his first order. And he became the largest account on Long Beach Island. But he said no to me six times. Six times he said no. And I went back in there. See, the reason I didn't have favor, because I didn't have what he wanted. But the Spirit of God kept telling me, think, tell him this, tell him this, tell him this. I got that last one, and then we, be, we developed a relationship, and he would look forward to me coming in. I'd look forward to going in there, and we just had a good old time with things, and I, I rotated his stock. <laughs> he wasn't that good at it, and uh, we had a good, good time with that. Listen to the Spirit of God. He'll help you. He'll help you do it. Now, I'm, I, I went through a, a, a period when I came back in there. I believe it lasted two years. For two years, I never got a no I couldn't overcome. For two years, every place I went into to sell them stuff, I came out with a new account. Every single place. And then I finally got into one. I mean, it was a small... T- I, I was running out of places to go to. There wasn't many more places to go to. But I found a place. I went on in. We talked for a while. I determined that they weren't that great of an account anyway. And uh, they said no. And they said, you know what? I'm good with that. And I left. Because <laughs> I figured it's going to take me longer to stop here than I'm going to get out of it anyway. So... Uh, he said no, and I went on. But get on back to this. David has a word from God. That word from God says, the child will surely die. So he gets before God, fasts and prays and seeks after God for seven days. And his statement is very very good. Let's read it over again. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? How much faith is in that statement? Well, let me put it to you this way. Well, I'll go up and get prayed for. Who can tell if I might get healed or not? How much faith is in that statement? Not a whole lot. Why? Because he doesn't have anything to base it on. The word of God that came to him was, the child will surely die. He's trying to get that word changed. He doesn't have faith for it. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. That's where you get that whole doctrine that babies, regardless of whether they made a salvation experience or not, or had a salvation experience or not, go to heaven. I have no reason to doubt that that is true. But I'm just telling you that's where it comes from. Because I don't have too much else to go on that. Can I bring it back? Now, this is a great way to look at this. Well, if 
I tried to change God's mind. If it was up to God, I tried to change his, his mind on it, and uh, we weren't successful. It didn't work. So um, I'll just get up and go on. See, this is what the problem that happened with the Christians is we get ourselves locked into, no, it has to be this way. This is how it has to go. And this has to happen. And we begin to pray and, and fast that it would go in a certain direction. And then a certain thing would happen. I've had people, well, we'll just we'll jump ahead a little bit in this. If you fall down and land on your arm and your arm is, is sore, oh, it is sore, oh, it is sore, it is sore, and you go to the doctor, and you need to go to the doctor and get an x-ray, your arm, oh, man, it's so sore, and you can go to the doctor, and you can say this, I, I've heard this come out of the mouth of Christians. I am believing God that it's not broken. Now, I'm not going to ask you if anybody ever raised your hand on that, but besides that, you'd probably be afraid to say so right now anyway. <laughs> I believe God that it's not broken. Now, if, I were, if you were to make that statement, what are you basing that faith on? Does the Word of God say that if you ever fall in your arm, you shall not break it? It says sickness and disease shall not come near you. But you see, we take everything and lump it into one. And the reason we don't have faith for certain things is because we don't understand what the verse said. I have the ability to tell sickness and disease to get out of my very presence because of what the Word of God has said. But do I have the ability to say my bones won't break? There's more on that. <laughs> There's a lot more on that. We're just, we're, that's for the, the, the next section that's ahead here. I'm just kind of jumping on a, ahead of that. Do we have faith to believe what we're asking for? There's a whole idea here is having faith in your prayers. Having prayers that you can have faith for instead of just saying prayers. Because a lot of times we just say prayers. Well, I'm just going to believe whatever the good thing is is going to come my way. What's the Word of God on it? What is the Word of God on that prayer? You need to have the Word of God. David's got the Word of God on this. What's the Word of God say? The child will surely die. That's the Word of God on it. Not because God wanted to, but because of David's act of sin gave occasion for the enemy. In the same sentence that talked about the occasion of the enemy is the same sentence that talked about the death of the child. That to me tells me it's not God's will. It's not God's purpose. It's the purpose of the enemy and you open the door for it. Do you know that sometimes you open the door for the enemy by being mean, rude, obnoxious, self-seeking, self-centered? You open the door for the enemy. Christians have lost their job because they have not done what they were supposed to do according to the Word of God. If you have a Christian and they show up to work late every day or four out of five days, take extra time on their lunch, are nasty to the customers or rude to the employees, what will be the end result of that, that person's employment? How many of y'all can figure it out? You're going to get fired. Why? I'm a, I'm a believer. I have favor. Not when you act like that. You can't act any way that you want and receive the blessings that God says. You have to act the way He says. And you'll receive the blessings that God says. Now, we've been going over that in all these weeks and, and this, just reviewing that again. But here, 
David doesn't, he doesn't lose any sleep on this. He gets up, well, it's time to eat now. Man, I'm hungry, but I'm fasting for seven days. David, what's up? Well, I'll go to him. He's not going to come back to me, but I'll go to him. Let's go on. But see, not Christians won't do that. When something happens in their life, and they've been believing in a certain direction, and it doesn't come, they get so hung up on it that it messes up the rest of their life, the rest of their Christian walk. There's going to be some things that happen in your Christian walk that you do not have the understanding of yet. You don't have the understanding of. It's all right. I don't know. I don't exactly know what's going on there, but I'm just going to keep on going. I'm not sure. I think it was Wednesday night. Was it Wednesday night that the, the Wednesday night crowd would get into some things and they're, I just don't always remember which, which crowd it is. But do you remember when Jesus taught that uh, passage? You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and everybody left them did i talk about that on a sunday was it on a wednesday it was on a wednesday okay anybody ever wonder why jesus did that i mean why does Je- i mean you read that passage didn't you you must drink of my blood and eat of my flesh how many of you expected them to understand what he said but jesus kind of spoke to him kind of harshly about it did he what you don't understand this He's kind of, kind of harsh with them. And they left him. And he turns to the disciples. You remember what he said to them? Are you going to leave me too? And the disciples said, Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. He wasn't expecting them to understand. But what he wanted was, in the midst of not understanding, do you have enough faith in me to stick with me until you do? Do you have enough faith to stick with your God when things happen in your life that you don't understand? Do you have enough faith that God, I don't know what happened here. I thought I was doing everything that I was supposed to do in your word and it didn't, it didn't seem to work. I don't know what happened. But um, I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to keep on doing what I know to do because that's all I know to do. And I thank you that you're going to keep on teaching me and you're going to keep on enlightening me and eventually I'm going to have understanding of what went on here and what I could have done to change it. What I could have done better. And you just keep on going on. Have the attitude that David has in this situation when you get these kind of results. Because you don't know what was going on. God just said you gave opportunity for the enemy. He didn't explain what that opportunity was. He didn't explain how that door might have been closed. He just said you gave opportunity for the enemy and now the child will die. You're going to have things in your Christian walk, folks, that you will not understand. But just rest in the joy of the Lord and just know, God, you are still my God. Glory to God. I don't know what happened here, but I still trust you. And just stay, get lost in the joy of the Lord. Just stay in the joy of the Lord and keep on going. And be like David was. His son just died. <laughs> he says, all right, I'll figure it out later. Let's go on. I can't do anything about that now. All right, here's the blanks I got you, gave you. If God's word doesn't give you assurance, if God's word doesn't give you assurance, we are wrong to get our hopes high. If God's word does not give you assurance, we are wrong to get our hopes high. Get your hopes high on the thing that God's word says. Find out what his word says and get your hopes high on that. But sometimes we get out there and we, we start believing God for things we don't have even have scripture on. Brother Hagin was always very adamant with this. 
When people came up for prayer, he would always say, what are you standing on? He didn't care if he knew the verse or, you know, real well or, or what, what, what are you standing on? And you can even tell, by the way, a lot of people will say the verse that they're standing on, what their faith is like in it. Are they just reciting something or do they really believe this? You can tell. So learn from David's approach. Then he goes on, verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He didn't do that until this was all done, apparently. He first off, let's, uh, let's focus on this. Let's see if we can change the direction of the, the, what's going on with the child. See if we can change that. When it wasn't, then he went over and he turned to Bathsheba. Now, understand her. She lost her husband. She lost the place that she called home. And she lost her son. That's a lot of loss in a short period of time. And now, instead of the wife of one husband, she's a wife among many. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her so that she bore a son and called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now, we don't know him by that name. We know him by Solomon. Some think that he uh, was called Solomon because David knew it was going to be a reign of peace, and he called him a name of peace as a prophetic name for his, his kingdom. Don't know what they called him all the time in there, but apparently he's a guy who had two names. So Nathan is sent again. I'm sure it was a much easier time on this one. Now get this one. No matter what we may wish to believe, sin has a price that cannot always be altered by favor. No matter what we may wish to believe, sin has a price that cannot always be altered by favor. Understand, folks, if you blew it, if you did something wrong, you hurt someone. Favor is not always the thing that's going to overcome there. You may not be able to, to walk in it. There's a price to pay for sin. God says, don't, don't sin. That's the best thing. Don't sin. Don't say stupid stuff. Don't think bad things. Don't do bad things. Life will be easier. How many all know life is easier? If you don't say bad things, do bad things, expect bad things, think bad things, it's a whole lot easier if we don't do that. But those things come into us. If we don't listen to God calling us back, He will send others. If we have sinned, God will send people after us if we're not listening to Him. His first thing is He's going to try and come after you Himself. He's going to call to you. If you don't listen, well, He's going to go out there and send somebody else. Now, I already said this to you in another way. Here's a different way to put it. Don't hope for something the Word does not promise. Don't hope for something the Word does not promise. Know what the Word promises you and build your hope up on that. But here's a tactic of the enemy. To get you to hope for something that the Word doesn't promise so that you can take your faith to believe for that and have it fall flat and then send answers as to why it didn't work that will send you down a wrong path. Folks, that's the tactic he has used over and over again. He's going to get, get this, this down. He is going to get you to hope for something the Word has not promised, to use faith to believe it will come, 
So when it doesn't, he can provide answers why it didn't come that will send you down a wrong path. Don't let him do it. Understand that's one of the things that he will do. If you're going to have hope for something, know that the word promised it to you. And believe God for that. For every one of you that has a job, God will give you wisdom on how to do that job better than everyone else around you. And you can believe God for that. And there's examples of it in the Word of God. Was there anybody better at his job than Joseph? Was there anyone better in his job than Daniel? We can go on and list a whole lot of them. David, was there anyone better? There's no one better as a soldier. He was the best. Why? Because he was born that way. The wisdom of God will cause you to do your job so well, so well, that you will prosper in that thing that you're doing. And people will notice. And people that are unsaved will be glad to give you more work, more stuff. They'll be glad to bless you because you have blessed them. Don't hope for something the Word does not promise. There's the last one. Faith comes from what we know through His Word. Faith comes from what we know through His Word. Now, here's where we're going here now. We've uh, dealt with favor for eight weeks. We want to go on to some other things. How do you pray when the thing that you need is in the hands of God? And how do you know the difference between what is in God's hands and what He has already given you? Because if you pray for what God has already given you, you are walking in unbelief, thinking that you're walking in faith. You don't need to do that. So how do we know what's in God's hands? I want to let you know this. There are some things that are in God's hands, not yours. I don't want you to think that everything is in your hands, because it's not. The wisdom of God, where is it? It's in God's hands. Because if anyone lacks wisdom, what shall he do? Ask of God who gives it to us. Now, once you got it, you got it. But there's more up there. And if I need more, I ask for it. And I can get it. There's things that God has that He wants to give me. But I need to ask. I need to first off understand that He has it. And then be able to ask Him for it. So we're going to be turning our attention to here because our goal here is that we have faith in our prayers. And sometimes we will pray this way. And you can pray this way and be wrong and pray this way and be right. We wake up in the morning. We got sniffles. We got a sore throat. We got fever. We got this kind of stuff. Oh, God. I pray right now that all these things would go. I thank you that you have healed me. I thank you that sickness cannot come near me and that I'm going through this day free of disease. And you see, I can, pray, I can make that prayer with faith and I can make that prayer with unbelief. How do I make it with faith? How do I do these things and have faith in it? Because sometimes we take a, a prayer like that. Now, that prayer I gave you is kind of strategic because what I did in it was I put some stuff in there that should be there and some stuff in there that shouldn't be there. But that's how a lot of Christians will do it. Now, if you didn't, reckon, if you didn't jump in what, what shouldn't have been there and what should have been there, we're, we're going to get into it next week because I want you to know but many times Christians were making prayers and we're mixing up a prayer like that where some of it's right and some of it's wrong. 
And we go off thinking, well, this is just going to work. And I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to be whole. We're not understanding what it is that, we, that we're doing. God expects us to learn and to grow in His Word. And you can make it so that every prayer that you make is a prayer that you have faith in. Every single one. And the more you operate in this, the less time you will pray for stuff. Because you just won't have to pray that long. You won't have to pray. You don't have to pray all night fasting and praying. You're going to know right away how to pray and what to do. And the devil's not going to be able to come over to you and say, you ought to pray for that some more. You know, you haven't quite broken through the barrier yet. You know, we had that teaching went through the body of Christ. How many have ever heard that? You know, you've got to break through the barrier. You've got to keep on praying. You've got to break through that barrier. You've got to get through that. There's a barrier there keeping you from it. We've got to break through. That's wrong. <laughs> and that's why some people don't have it. Because they see a barrier. I never one time saw Jesus praying for things, for people, where he saw there was a barrier. He just prayed and got it. So that's what we're going to be doing. That's where we're going in the, uh, in the weeks to come. If you have some more questions in the area of favor, please post them. Tell them to me. Love to, to go over them. If you have any questions as we're going through this, let us know. You got it. If you all have answers, uh, give them to me over here at the back. And if you don't get the answer, I don't want everybody else to hear it because I want them to be able to think about it and go on home and, and do some stuff. So encourage to, to see what you all got. All right. Uh, let's all stand up. Glory to God. Father God, I thank you that favor is something that we can have. Favor is something that you desire that we have and that we grow in. But it's the things that we do that bring us into that place. It's the how we act. When we act according to your word, when we act and, and walk according to the love of God, and we let these things dictate our lives and operate in our minds, and our words are governed by the word of God that's in us, we will walk in favor. And people will look forward to doing things for us. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to walk in this wisdom. With every head bowed. You say, I have walked in ways that I realize now were not the ways of favor. But I see what I can do to change. And I can make my actions those that God can bless instead of ones that he's told me to refrain from. You can say that through all this time looking at the word, I've learned some things that I need to put into practice to walk in the favor of God. Just raise your hand up. Glory to God. Father, we all have things we can do to make us more favorable to those around, that we can grow in the favor of God and the favor of men. No matter how much favor we walk in now, there is more favor that we could have. I thank you, Father, that you help us. You give us the wisdom that we need. You give us the understanding. You give us the insight that we can soar above all those that are around us because we rely on you. And we let your spirit work in us. I thank you for it. I give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. We have um, one prayer.
one uh, prayer request I know and a couple of uh, praise, praise reports. Let me give you these praise reports here. Phyllis said, we got some extra money in this week and we were able to pick up the check for a single mom with two kids at Red Robin. They weren't having a good day. <laughs> she uh, told her waiter that she was so thankful. Glory to God for that. Uh, Ethel, I had a situation at work on Thursday where I interviewed and I was not supposed to. Or intervened and I was not supposed to. The Holy Spirit um, reminded me of the teaching about how a good employee acts. So I had to apologize to the manager and the other staff uh, letting letting them know, know I handled the situation incorrectly. And that, that's the wisdom of God. If you handle something wrong, just let people know. And uh, they they respect that. Bobby is, uh, uh, well, I called him initially when he came out of the hospital in the um, a few days after that for um, uh, was she actually, Thursday when he was uh, going home I talked with uh, Kenny and he was doing better she said he had less pain I said already I was kind of thinking that you know with the surgery he might feel a little bit from that but uh, apparently right now he's dealing with a lot of pain not a whole lot of details of what that pain is so I don't know if it's surgery pain or if is it surgery pain? Okay. So the, that's that's good with that. And Dietrich needed healing? Dietrich needed healing? For? Oh, that kind of heal. I thought you meant a, a... Well, come on up. <laughs> Glory, let's all stand up. Father, we just thank you for the good things that are going on in, in Bobby, that the surgeons were able to do what they said they were going to do, and you gave them wisdom that we asked for. I thank you for the good success that has been done there. And that that body is healing up right now in the name of Jesus. And just as we have prayed, and just as you said you would do, I thank you, Father, that healing process is being sped up and working good on, on his behalf. We thank you for it. Glory to God. Amen. And you have pain where? Well, um, I, I have a parasite. And, uh, yeah. We can get real close. Her her uh, little dog for how many years? 17. 17 years she's had that little little puppy dog. And uh, that's just one of those things she was very close to. But, Father, I thank you that you just minister to the hurt that we feel on the inside. We feel loss. When one goes away, and I, f- I know, Father, that you feel that. You know what that's like. Jesus walked on this earth. And there are probably some losses that he had, maybe from people who just walked away from him, whatever the loss was. We know that we have a high priest who can sympathize in every area that we have. So, Father, I just thank you that you bring Dietrich through this, that he is on a way to a good place. It's okay to have the grief for where place where we're at. But Father, joy is up ahead. We thank you for it. And so we just awaken that joy and the things that we do to stir up that joy. And that joy is returning and that joy is overtaking. Glory be to God. Morning shall not last forever. But joy comes. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, yeah. Amen.
Uh, we all have lost little puppies, little dogs. I'll tell you what, they, it is just never easy when they... When, well, I can't say that for all of them. I've had a couple that I was, was glad. <laughs> yeah, they just were such troublemakers at the end and they were just into stuff and the sweetness was gone. But you have other ones that just were sweet the whole time. and um, Yeah, it gets to be real tough. Sound like that's what you have with yours. 17 years of sweetness. Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh wow! Has he been around town with you? (laughs) Neat. Um, All right. Um, Hang on. Um, Do you have something to go for our Christmas stuff? You want to give any anything on that? Okay. Come on. Just to give you an update, we, we have been putting out on Facebook. We have gotten some responses. As we told you, we're, we're kind of narrowing that response down um, a bit. And you want to grab the blue? Yes, so Christmas Christmas is coming. Again, I know happy October Christmas, but that's Christmas, yay! Yeah. <laughs> Um, Christmas is coming. I have responses coming in every single day for people. Hey, I'm interested. How do I sign up? How do I register? Now, we are doing it differently this year. It's not that I know how many people are going to be walking through that door, and we know the kids are buying for, and we know their age. We don't know that yet until those two Sundays in November when they have to come and be here to register. Now, that being said, we could have 45 people or 45 kids worth that come in the door, and now we're like, oh, we have 45, 45 kids, which, praise Jesus, that would be awesome. But we're going to be ready for whatever whatever may come. Um, the parameters have been set. They must come one of those two Sundays here to Zoe to register their kids. They have to live within a certain radius of the church. Um, they There's no parameters on children. We're going babies up to 18, really, because those are the kids that are in homes that are their Christmas Day and what have you. Um, there's been a couple that are like, oh, I live 12 miles away. Well... All right, we, we might make allocations for them. It's, it's different in that, that situation. Um, ag- again, I will ask this now. If you guys – did I do something? No, you did something. <laughs> if, um, if you want to help in any way, shape, or form, I have things you can help with. Everything from going through these rooms, because this is, this is a family event. We want to shine for the family. So we're going to get – not necessarily painting. I'm not going to go crazy that year this, this year for that. We did that last year. But cleaning, organizing the toys, making sure that the, the shelves look presentable, those kinds of things. If you're like, I have got an artsy bone in my body, but I can clean, I can use you. We have preparation to do for the game night. Now, again, a lot of you were here for game night last, last year. That is an outreach in and of itself, too. If you have friends you want to invite that you're like, you're going down, I'm going to bow beat you, we're going to play games, we're going to have fun. Bring them. They don't have to come just for toys. We still have prizes. We'll still have cookies um, and hot chocolate and those kinds of things. That is Saturday, December 9th. That's when game night is. Um, I need help preparing those games. I need help buying, going out and getting the prizes. I, we're going to need help wrapping the toys. We're going to need help possibly purchasing the toys. I spent weeks shopping last year, and I do not want to do it again. I was, like, shopped out, and that's not a good feeling. As a woman, that's not a good feeling. Um I think that's all for the for Christmas as it pertains. Again, be in prayer about it. We're going to have people here during services. We're going to have people here during game night. There's going to be fellowship happening. That's exciting. That's fun. Um, Hallelujah night, the same thing. Coming up October 31st. It is on Halloween. Bring in the candy. More candy for the kids, the better. Um, do we need to, anything registration-wise as far as... We the, need to know. Tell my wife or myself on your way out 
We need to know how many kids are coming or how many people are participating in the laser tag. That's the main thing because that's the, the number of restrictions on that. So if you've got if the, each kid is bringing a friend, that's great. Just let us know that they're bringing a friend. We just need to know how many are, are coming for all that. If you're not coming for the laser tag, just coming for the fellowship and the food and all the other stuff, that's fine. Just show up. But if you're coming and you're bringing some of the kids for the or, or, or whoever wants to play, we have um, all ages that are playing the laser tag. So if you want to play the laser tag, we just got to know that you're coming for that. Uh, bring in those little bags of candy bite-sized stuff. We give them out to the kids at the end of the night. If you can uh, do that, and um, I think that's all for for that one. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll announce the topic more. We're in chapter 3 in Hebrews, and uh, I think that's um, that's about it. If you're not able to make it out, we do have the uh, Facebook live feed, and we did get the mic change. How did the new sound seem to be going through? Going to, all right, we finally got some of this new stuff done. We got it actually hardwired in so that it's not just picking up the sound in the air. It's actually picking up the microphone, which should make it easier to, to hear on the Facebook Live. So um, I think that is all that we've, we've got on that. So have a great rest of the day, and bless some folks before you go.